Today I want to talk, uh, end the series and begin a new one. Today we're going to begin a series on passion. But we're going to close the series on convictions. And so today's topic is called Building a Future Requires Passionate Convictions. Can you say passionate, passionate. Convictions. convictions? My argument for the year is if you want to change your future, you have to decide to build it. And if you're going to build a future, you have to first change the way you think. Then secondly, you have to not only change the way you think, you have to change your approach. The old approaches don't work, not long term. That's a struggle for churches, struggle for pastors. The old approach is everybody has to come in the building. Well, that's not going to happen. They come, but they stream. And they go on demand. And that's part of it. They go to the web to the, and download the app, Overcoming by Faith Media. And they download that app, Overcoming by Faith what? Or just Overcoming by Faith. And there it is. And there's a new app we've been developing and testing that we're going to let you see later on down the road. We're not quite there yet with it. But part of my commitment is putting the word in your hand, giving you access. And you, you need it on your terms, not just on my terms. I do think there's a value in coming and hanging together and being together. The Bible said we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's something about touching people. Now, I want you to do something that's kind of threatening, but I want you to touch your neighbor. Come on, say touch him. There you go. Bam. That's it. There you go. Stop right there. That's enough of that. 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 That's valuable. God wants us to do that. There's nothing like it. I think it matters in family. Nothing like touching Diane. And I mean, just, just being in the room and having conversation. So this is important. And that's why we have big gatherings and small gatherings to keep that spirit flowing. But I believe that in order for that to happen, you have to have convictions. You have to have a new way of thinking, a new approach, and you have to also have a way of, a way of thinking, a conviction that's clear. To build a future, let me say it again, you must... Build a new mind. Say that with me, please. Come on. Say build a new approach and build a new convictions. The new convictions must be clear in your mind. These are the things I believe in and these are the things that I don't believe in. I believe in building wealth. I believe in giving. I believe in being honest. There's certain things you have to say I believe in. I believe in knowing because if I don't know, the Bible says that my ignorance can destroy me. So there's something about being clear and, and I'm telling you, at 58, this is so true. I, I wish I'd been this clear at 18. There's something about clarity. There's some things I won't do now because I'm clear. Having said that, none of that works if there's no passion. If you're not passionate about new thinking, if you're not passionate about convictions, if you're not passionate about new approaches, then none of it works. Passion is the engine. It's the gas in, in the car. It's the fire in the heart that makes things amazing. So my question to you today is what are you passionately convinced about? What are your passionate convictions? Now, I want to use a source uh, I mentioned to you last week, Rich Habits, Poor Habits by Tom Corley and Michael Yardney. And they made uh, uh, some astonishing statements that I thought were amazing in describing what passion looks like. And they give this parallel in the book between how poor people think and how rich people think. And this is no, no bad reflection on poor people. But in, in their study, they said 
let us study how the poor behave and how the rich behave, what their habits are. And, there were, and we talked about this last week. There were several things that were way different. For example, 67% of rich people, wealthy people, when they drive in the car, they listen to book on tape. They listen to some kind of book. They're more prone to do that. They talked about the amount of TV watching. Poor people watch more TV. They spend way more time watching television, 87% or so, so high number, watching television, and especially um, shows that are um, designed to keep you hooked in like soap operas used to be. And that's, 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 that's a poor habit. The less you read, the more TV you watch, 4.7 hours on your phone a day. You're, you'd spend, you look at your phone 17 times a day. In some countries, it's 40 times a day. You have habits. You scroll the Internet for hours and just, just look at people's notes. And there's very little time on self-development, very little time spent on helping you improve. And that is a poor person habit. And this book talks about that, rich, rich habits, poor habits. So my goal is, look, I may be poor, but I'm not going to act like it. And if I want to get out of the state, I can't just blame rich people for being rich. That's ridiculous. That doesn't help me. I must look at what they do right and invite that into my life and my daily habits. So just measure it. First thing you do in the morning when you get up is you cut your TV on, and the last thing you do when you go to bed is leave it on. It's on for hours and 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 hours. You don't watch just one chop show. You watch 15. You go on demand, and you sit there for, for hours and watch five, six, seven shows, and it's what you do every week, every day. And you're catching up, but you're always catching up. But you have no time to exercise. You have no time to read. You have no time to do anything to build your, your life up. You don't have 20 minutes to walk, but you have not missed a chopped show in years. <laughs> you know all the episodes. You know all the superhero movies. You, go, you, you, are, you are filled with that, but your life, your physical life is going out of control. I say you're not passionate. You don't have a passionate conviction. Here's what he said regarding this issue of passion. He says, passionate practice prevents poor performance. And he said again, passionate practice prevents poor performance by perfecting our knowledge and skills. So when you are passionate and you practice, it prevents you from being a poor performer. And you end up perfecting your knowledge and your skills. Passion is the number one and by far most important attribute of successful people. It is the catalyst that transforms ordinary individuals into exceptional individuals. When you pursue something you are truly passionate about, your life will change for the better. You know you have found that thing you are truly passionate about. When it occupies your thinking 24-7, it consumes your waking moments and your dreams. So why is passion so important? He goes on to say, passion creates persistence. Passion transforms even the laziest person into a workaholic. Passion infuses you with creativity. Passion allows you to, con to overcome mistakes and failures. Passion turns obstacles the size of mountains into paved roads. I love this. Passion produces, repeat it with me, please. Come on, say unforced focus. Say it again, come on. Unforced focus. Passion produces unforced focus which is the most powerful type of focus you can have. Passion produces extreme willpower, the most powerful type of willpower you have. 
you can have. Passion gives you unlimited energy. That, my friend, is what I want in my life. And I want to ask you something. Are you passionate? And if you are, how passionate are you? Passion is strong. Passion is unforced. It's something that you do without anybody, anybody making you do it. You get up because you want to. You get dressed because you want to. You plan ahead because you want to. It's unforced. Now, I want to show you a guy in the Bible who I think was passionate. This is a guy who I think had incredible passion. Now, I, I personally, when I look at my own life, I can think back to days when I was passionate. When I was a teenager, we didn't go to church until I was around 15-ish. I went by myself. I, I was raised to go maybe a couple of times, three times a year like that. I didn't, I didn't go to church. What did you do on Sunday, Pastor Rick? Went to the gym, played basketball every Sunday. I'd go to the gym. The gym, yes. And I, here's what I did. I was so passionate about playing basketball and so passionate about the gym. What I would do is, first of all, I'd run about three or four miles three or four times a week because I, I didn't want to be out of wind. That's embarrassing to go to the gym and you can't play but a game or two, right? And then uh, I, my you know, all-stars were real big, when I, and you had to buy them on Ninth and Hill. I remember that. You had to go to the specific store in L.A. and buy your all-stars. And I remember when I bought the, my all-stars, I would bleach them the night before, maybe even Friday, because they had to be really white. You could not walk in a gym with dirty shoes. You understand that, right? That was like cold. And then you had to have your socks layered. You understand that too, right? You had to have the bam, bam, bam. You know what I mean? Everything had to color coordinate. And if you had the right shoe strings on, they had to match. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you had to have your wristbands on and your headband on a good day. Because you couldn't go in the gym wrong and you practiced. There were no three-point shots back in those days, but you practiced, and you worked at it because you didn't want to go in the gym and be the awful guy nobody wanted to pick. It was pride, passion, and it was important. It was important to have your own basketball. It was important to have your own boombox. I was the kid walking down the street with the loud music, playing Michael Jackson. That was me. I was the, I was the kid with the box on his shoulder with the bowel in one hand on a Sunday morning that you used to pray for. That was me. Everybody say passion. passion. What are you passionate about? So you didn't even say that right. Say passion. passion. Say it like you mean it. Come on, say passion. passion. There's something about having passion. There's something about having a sense of excitement, a commitment, a determination that drives you, that makes you do something that you would not do. And there's a guy in the Bible in, in the book of uh, Acts chapter 7. His name was Paul. And his name was called Paul or Saul. Some people think the name changed meant something. No, it's like you said, Ricardo or Ricky or Robert or Ricky or whatever, Richard. It's all the same, Saul or Paul. And Saul, he's called here later, called Paul, is the guy who had passion. From his youth, he describes himself as a very committed man. He was a Pharisee. He was a mighty leader. And a Pharisee was one of the, one of the top spiritual leaders in his day. They were like the, they were like the Marine Corps of religion. There were never more than a few thousand of them, and they were very, very highly educated. They were incredibly gifted. Most were married, by the way. Paul, Saul was an incredibly gifted guy, and he was young. He started young. He was, he was um, mentored by Gamaliel. 
And Gamaliel was the scholar of the day. He was like the man, the Harvard of education. He was the guy who, who everybody admired when he spoke in Scripture. Gamaliel speaks and everybody gets quiet because Gamaliel was the man. Now, there's something about being this guy. And I want you to notice with me, he is a guy who is passionately misguided. There's a season in his life when he's passionate but about the wrong thing. He's on the wrong side. And then there is a word I'm going to create. It's called right-guided. Can you say right-guided? Right-guided. I made it up, but it fits. Come on, say misguided. misguided. Right-guided. right-guided. Now, for now, in the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about two sides of a lot of things. You're going to find in the sermons, I'm going to be showing you both sides, how you can be misguided and how you can be right-guided. And in our study today, Saul is misguided. He is mad with these people called Christians who are of what's called the way. And he's committed to wiping them out. He thinks these are the most unbelievably wrong people in the world. And so he goes on a campaign, and he starts in chapter 7 by, by witnessing the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's the, one of the first deacons. And in this incredible exchange, I want you to watch what happens. There is this, this patient tolerance for violence that Saul has. That's incredible. Now look at the text with me, if you would, please. In um, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now this is Stephen talking after he preached the sermon. He preached the most convicting message you ever want to hear. And, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to notice that this guy is preaching these me- this message. And in chapter 7, as he preaches it, when you get down to verse 54, the people who heard the message were cut to their heart. Now, what kind of message was it? It was a masterpiece, a message that a guy like Saul could appreciate, a message that was um, built and described the long history of Israel the long, incredible history of this nation. And Saul was listening to it. And you'll see later that he he, he couldn't... I believe this was the message that changed Saul's life. I believe this was the message that played in his mind over and over again. This was the message that lit the passion. First of all, it lit a misguided passion, but later it evolved. Sometimes you'll tell your kids something, And they can't hear you right now, but let it keep playing in their ears over and over and over again. It's amazing. How many of you quote your mom and your daddy, people that told you things now, and you didn't quote them when you were younger? You couldn't see what they were saying. Come on, say, I was misguided. misguided. You were misguided. Now watch this now. So Saul preaches, I'm sorry, Stephen preaches this message. When they heard it, verse 54, said they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth didn't bite him they were gritting their teeth and being filled with the spirit this guy gazes up in heaven says he says lord he said god jesus standing he said he saw jesus standing at the right hand of god and he said i see the heavens opened (laughs) and the and and the man son of man standing at the right hand of god and they were furious look at the next verse verse 57 they cried with a loud voice stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord so they attack him now imagine that, you're preaching and all of a sudden all these people come running at you. 
That's a scary thing. Now, if you guys ever do that, I tell you, I'm heading for the door, man. I'm not waiting. There's something powerful about this moment where this guy is standing there, and the Bible says the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on the Lord. As for Saul, verse, chapter 8, verse 3 says, he kept making havoc of the church. Stephen is stoned to death, and Saul goes on a rampage, and he makes havoc, havoc of the church, which means it's like the word describes a hurricane, tornado. That was, Stephen was the first, but Saul didn't stop there. He kept on rolling, kept on rolling, kept on rolling, dragging off men and women in verse 3 of chapter 8 of Acts to prison. What, a, what an amazing story of a guy who's passionate but misguided. Have you ever been like this? Have you ever been in a place where you just get worse and worse? And you look back at your life and you can say, yeah, when I was 18 to 22 or when I was 25 to 30 or when I was 16 to 18, when were your misguided years? Maybe you're in the middle of them now. Listen to chapter 9, verse 1. Paul, Paul mis, his misguided passion grew and became more dangerous. And the Bible said he still, he was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. And so he was mad, he was angry, and he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to, to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to, to Jerusalem. This is a guy who's not going to stop. I look, I look at this and I must admit there's one thing about it that is impressive. At least he has passion. He has clear convictions. These people must be stopped. He's not right, but he's passionate. I admire that. And I'm, I must say in my life, I've had seasons like this. Passionate, serious, but wrong. You've been there. You want this marriage. You want this relationship no matter what it costs you. The abuse of your children. Be careful, Pastor Ray. The compromise of all your values. Violence. Doesn't matter. I got to have somebody in my life, no matter what. Abuse my children. There are no boundaries, there are no lines. I want to be the pastor no matter what. So I'll lie, cheat, be dishonest, so I can have the title. I've seen that. Misguided passion. Call it a passion for ministry, but you never take care of yourself. You're always going, you're always busy, you're exhausted, you're grumpy, you're passionate, but you're misguided. You're passionate about your children, but you are ignoring your husband, ignoring your wife in the name of passion for your children. You're passionate for your grandchildren. Ooh, that's some powerful juice. Mm. Mm. Goodness, make you crazy. I call it GP juice, grandparent juice. Good God Almighty. Grandparent juice, GPJ. Wow. That stuff get on you. You just start twitching. Kids don't know anything. They don't know what they're doing. I remember one time, Ricky. Ricky, what's his name? No, what's his name? 
Say his name. He, he, don't be scared of him. What's his name? Ricky. Ricky put his hand in the um, uh, trunk of the car. We were closing the trunk. Yes, he did. Who did it? Ricky did it. We're closing the trunk. He decided to go like this. And it just barely, well, it had his finger, but it didn't cut it off or anything. He still has it. And he, <laughs> and we opened it real fast. And, of course, he screamed, bloody murder. He screamed. And, he, and I guess I screamed, too. It's pretty scary. But who did that? Ricky did that. Why can't you say it? I didn't do it. He did it. He did it. It was bam, and he was screaming, and so we took it back in the house, and Grandmama was there, and Lord have mercy. When you take him to Grandmama, you did it. You did it. You guys let that boy. I did not. Ricky, Ricky did it. GP juice. Goodness gracious. Goodness strong. I have to fight it off all times. Be careful. Help me, God. It's just so cute. Make you crazy. Start fighting the parents. Start warring. Start, start debating with them. How is your mother treating you? How is your father treating you? Tell me what they said. What they was me. <laughs> I'm a rookie at this, but I can see it coming. It's strong. Woo-wee, Jesus. I got to take me some kind of something. I don't know. Praise God. Anyway. But you can be passionate. The message is you can be passionate and be wrong. And you have to back up a little bit and ask yourself, am I a little bit intoxicated here? Am I a little bit out of control? Saul, was, he was bad for many, 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 many months. Doesn't say exactly how long, but long enough. And then he became changed all of a sudden. Chapter 9, verse 3, Paul's passion changed in a private moment. As he journeyed and came near Damascus, verse 3 says of chapter 9, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. The word goads is nothing you're not used to, but it's a stick they would use to keep the animals in check. And the animals would try to get out of line, and they'd poke them, and the animal would get back in line. And the stick was so long, the animal couldn't win. And it's hard for you to kick against that. In a moment here, you have Saul changed. In a moment, in a flash of a moment, in a private moment. But what's interesting is there's no sermon preached. The sermon's already been preached. The seed has already been sown by Stephen. Stephen was stoned, but Stephen was the one who sowed the seed. And in that private moment, Saul's entire life changes. And let me tell you, that's where passion is born. Passion is normally born when you're by yourself. It's not normally built in a crowd. It's in a private moment. Even if people are around, there's this sense of, of solitude that happens. My own conversion, my own empowerment, my own desire for Christ started in a private moment. In a private moment sitting on a step. In a, in, in a, in a prayer meeting that somebody just decided to passionately have one day. Three ladies. God knew, I know how to cut the passion on in Ricky. I know how to change his life. I know how to get him to be a different person. 
All I've got to do is get him to this one place and let him hear this one prayer. One prayer will change his life. One prayer will cut a light on in his mind. See, God knows the key to your passion. God knows exactly how to get you excited, how to get you stirred and focused. And there I was, a young boy who was about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. And I remember sitting on Western Avenue, sitting on the curb. For some reason that day, I just felt overwhelmed with emotion. And God had been dealing with me for about a year. And I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit dealing with me. And I, because I didn't go to church, I didn't really have a, you know, a basis for all that I was feeling. Didn't know what to call it. I just felt like God was touching me. That's what I told my friends. I said, I feel like God is touching me. And they said, whoa, how long have you been feeling this way? They laughed at me. They mocked me. They didn't know. And so I remember, I remember I was standing. I was standing on a friend's porch, and I told him. I remember I saw my pastor, whom I didn't hardly go to church. But, you know, you still got a pastor. <laughs> so I ran his car down. I did. I ran his car down. I said, Reverend, I said, I, I'm feeling something. And he leaned over in his car. He said, good. I said, I feel like God is touching me or something. He said, good. And he drove off. <laughs> didn't park the car, didn't get out, didn't, <laughs> didn't lay hands on me. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't go to church, right? <laughs> what in the world? Missed that moment, didn't he? In the, in the midst of that moment, the Lord said, but I got somebody else. I'm a, I, one day I was just going down the street and all of a sudden a song came to my mind. See, because when you don't go to church, you don't know many gospel songs. At least I didn't. And so I knew, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Say the wretch like me. Oh, I knew that one. So I sang that. Just, and matter of fact, I know why I was singing it. But all of a sudden I just started singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And that thing started coming on me and I, would, and I only knew a little bit I didn't know the whole verse, I didn't know the whole song I just kept singing over and over again amazing grace how sweet the sound and the Holy Spirit said angels if you just sing that song in his ear that'll touch him, that'll light something up in him and so I, I sung that a few days and, and every now and then I had a feeling to come on me again and then one day one day, one day the Holy Spirit I was sitting in a friend's house and the Holy Spirit, I've told this before Holy Spirit came on me so strong I, I couldn't stay in the friend's house, I had to get up Passion was rising. A fire had been lit. And I went and sat on that porch, and I remember sitting there. I Every time I go to L.A. when I get a chance, I drive by that spot. I drive by that spot, and I say, that's where it happened right there for me, right there in that same spot. And I sat down, and I remember I, remember I was sitting on that curb, and, and I felt like I didn't know how to pray a sinner's prayer, but I was sitting, and I said, Lord, I feel like a sinner. I feel like a bad person. And I, I, cry, I started crying. Now, you know some teenage boy don't want to be crying sitting on some curb on the middle of a busy street but in that moment the Holy Spirit said look behind you and there was that church with the door open there was a church with the door open and three ladies dressed in white now in the middle of the week you know you don't put your white on unless you're passionate that day God stirred those ladies get up have that Bible study with only four people Thank you, Jesus. I need y'all to be on time. I need you to open the doors of the church because I got somebody that's going to come by here. I got somebody that's going to become the future Pastor Rick. He don't know it yet. He still got his basketball on Sunday and his boom box, but I'm going to light a fire in him.
Lord have mercy. What if they stayed home that day? What if they didn't come out that day, but they got dressed up in their white? Holy Spirit said, look back there, boy. I looked behind me, wiping my eyes, and the door was open, and the Holy Spirit said, go inside. I said, I ain't going in there. What are we going there? And I got up, and I, in grace, I walked in that door, and I sat down. Let me tell you, it was one lady sitting in the audience with a little boy. And there was three women standing at the altar. When I walked in the door, I remember the sermon. All she said was three things. She says, don't play with God. I remember that. That's all she said was don't play with God. That's all she said was don't play with God. And I, I don't remember anything else. And I'm telling you, when she said that, the little boy was looking at me over the shoulder of his parent like I was crazy. And I started crying again. I said, oh, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. I'm out of control. I got up and walked out the back door of the church. And they said these words, can we pray for you? I said, no. Yes, I did. I said, no, I'm out of control. I'm going crazy. Something wrong with me. I'm in here crying like a nut. I'm getting out of here. Something wrong. It was the Holy Spirit said, no, keep on. Turn that fire up on him. Turn that fire up on him. We got him now. We're going to pull him in. I came back in. Lord have mercy. I came back in and three ladies got around me. They laid their hands on me. A young old skinny boy with jeans and a, and a t-shirt or something on. And you know what they said? Save him for your glory. That's all they said. They laid their hands on me and they said, save him. I didn't know what saving meant. I didn't know what glory meant, but I felt something. I know that. And in that moment, a fire started burning. A flame was lit. A passion. And a year later, God began to put flesh and bones on that. So let me tell you what the saved means now. Let me tell you what this means. He brought me all the way here to put flesh and bones on that. All the way to Savannah, Georgia. To ignite something. And let me tell you what happened to you a year ago. Let me tell you what's been stirring in your mind. That's the Holy Spirit that's been pulling you. That's God's been dragging on you, trying to pull you to a new place. And let me tell you something, young people. It has been the best fire that's ever been lit in my heart ever. It's been the best flame I've ever had in my life. Everybody say passion. Saul fell from that mule, fell from that animal, and something was lit. I can't tell you how much that day changed my life. You can read Paul's life changed. Became this amazing guy. I thought it would be interesting for me to sit down and document both sides of my journey. And only a few things I noted. And you might want to do this when you get home. Look back and list three seasons in your life when you were misguided. Three misguided passions you had. And then three right-guided ones. Here's what I wrote down for me. I was passionate about one-sided relationships that had no long-term benefit for me. There were seasons in my life I was pursuing the wrong people. Who couldn't help me. Also, I was passionate about a career that did not match my skills long-term. 
I was about to, I, I, being a preacher was not at all in my, in my vision. This was absolutely not even mentioned. I never prayed for it, thought about it, wanted it ever. Even when I was in school to study theology, this job was not the dream job for me. But God said, don't worry. I'll light the passion. Just get him in the word, turning the pages, teaching what I said, and watch what happens. Somebody asked me, said, are you passionate about preaching? Not really. Not really. I'm passionate about life and God. Preaching is just something I, I comes with this. I'm, and I'm I, tell you, you know, a guy that's passionate about something has a different view of it. It's not a pride thing, for me at least, for sure. I just love God, and when I talk about him, the passion comes through. It's not a job, it's a calling. There's, some, there's something about my, my role, and, I, and it's hard to describe sometimes because people really get confused when I say, no, I'm not passionate about preaching. Preaching is nerve-wracking. Who wants to be up here with people looking at you? Worrying about your clothes, are they right? And worrying about, did you do a good job? Did you connect all the dots? That's nerve-wracking. I mean, I, I, the things I have to do in this job, I mean, I, I'm glad people say I do good with funerals, but, I mean, come on now. Who, who wants to do that? Who, who, wants to, who, wants to, who wants to do that? I love weddings. God bless y'all. I'll marry you, but I'm telling you right now, who wants to have to? It's just nerve-wracking. Some of that stuff, some of the responsibility, the counseling, all, all that. But here's, here's what makes it work. Passion. I love God, so that comes with it. Come on, mama. You don't want to clean up behind your children, but passion makes you clean up behind your children. You don't want to cook. I, I don't wanna, I'm scared to ask you, how many of you could never cook for all those people again? You'd raise your hand and say, no, don't raise your hand. Oh, Pastor, if I had never had to cook again, I'd just, just cook for me. Oh, yes. How many say I would give up washing clothes if I could give up washing everybody's clothes and just wash my own? Put your hands down. Look at I see you. you got, she got a hand up, sneaking her hand up like, thank you, Jesus. I can, see, I want you to understand, there's something about passion that reaches beneath, way in your soul, that makes you do what's not easy to do. There's a lot of school teachers, you don't like teaching. You don't like the whole process, but you love helping the kids. That passion drives you. I got to get done. I was passionate about relationships I shouldn't have been in, career, and then I was passionate about my spiritual growth, but not passionate about building wealth. It's really amazing. I put that in there for a reason because I, I, I was trying to come up with three things I was misguided about. I thought that being saved and, and a Christian was the most important thing in my life, but I wasn't really thinking sometimes about my, the other part of my life. You're saved, you love God, but you need to balance your life. Your biggest issue is not just your spiritual life. Your biggest issue is you're constantly in financial and emotional crisis over money and debt and bills. How about let's get free from that? Can we lift our hands? Come on. This is the last sermon on this wealth thing. Come on. Say, in the name of Jesus, I pray for more balance in my life when it comes to wealth and planning for my future. Now, I want you to look at me for a second. You're misguided if you think it doesn't matter. You're misguided as a church if you think it doesn't matter. We're misguided as a people. If you want me to get up here and never challenge you to tithe and honor God and giving, you are misguided and we are misguided and we will be broken and we will fail. But I say that's not us. I say we understand how to be balanced. 
If, I got, if, you, if I'm right, give the Lord a big shout and a big amen and a big hand clap. Come on. Come on. If you want me, if you want me to teach it and tell it like it is, even if it makes you uncomfortable, tell me. Come on, say teach it. Teach it. There you go. Amen. Give God another big hand clap. Come on. Amen. Here's what I believe I've been right guided by. This is personal testimony. I became more passionate about my best skill. I began to focus on my best skill, not everything I can do. More singly focused. This is what I'm good at. Number two, I became passionate about investing in my future. That can sound so selfish, but listen to me. If I have a bunch of people in this church and you're so invested in, in helping us, but you're not invested in you, then we have an unhealthy place. Thirdly, I became passionate about broadening my vision. My daily prayers, Lord, give me wisdom so that I can see broader in my life. What I'm going to do next week is I'm going to take you on a journey and I'm going to show you a guy who had this kind of vision. His name was John the Baptist. And he was passionate about preparing the way. He was a guy who saw something that would outlive him. He was inspiring to me because this was a guy who could see beyond today. And I believe very, very, very clearly he was highly accomplished. John the Baptist was a highly accomplished guy, and he reminds me of a book. Write this down. This is my new book. You'll love this one. Ready? Here's a book. Ready? It's not in your notes. Write this down. By Angela Duckworth. It's called Grit. Everybody say Grit. grit. This is a book. It's setting me on fire, it's, and I'm going to put it up on my book list. It should be up by next, by next Monday. I hope my book list will, be, you know, will have it updated for you by next Tuesday for sure. But it's called, if you go to rickytemple.com, say rickytemple.com. If you look at and click on resources, the top resource has read with the pastor and this is my new book it's not there yet but it will be in a couple of days but this is the book it's called grit the power of passion and perseverance say that with me please come on grit the power of passion and perseverance and and in this book she describes the highly successful people like john the baptist what they did they were people who had no realistic expectation of ever catching up to their ambition they knew they may not get there but they were going to try. They were satisfied being unsatisfied. I may not get there. It doesn't matter if I get there or not, but I am going there. <laughs> Some of the things they had to do were boring, frustrating, or even painful. But they wouldn't give up the dream. They had grit. In some, no matter the domain, the highly successful had a kind of, they had a ferocious determination. That's what John the Baptist said. A ferocious determination. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. A ferocious determination. Listen to this now. They were, they were resilient and hardworking. They knew in a very, very deep way what it was that they wanted. They knew, I want that. Passionate people are like that. They had determination and they had direction. They had passion and they had perseverance. And she says in this book, Angela Duckworth, they had something called grit. And grit is passion and perseverance. Let me tell you something. Until you say, I do not quit, I do not bow, I do not surrender. The difference between talent and grit is talent, many people think, is just inborn you're just naturally talented but there are a lot of people who are talented who have no grit you quit too quickly you bow too quickly you surrender too quickly 
you'll never achieve your goals because you have no grit. I do not quit. I do not bow. And I do not surrender. I do not bow. I do not quit. And I do not surrender. I don't need you to pray for me every day because I do not quit. And I do not bow. And I do not surrender. It's when you have that kind of spirit. You can be the most talented person in the world. But if you don't combine that talent, she says, with effort, that's what leads to skill. And you take that skill and combine that with effort. And that skill and effort leads to success, achievement. You need some grit. And over the next five weeks, I'm going to lay it on you. I'm going to lay it on me. We're going to lay it on us because we're going to be tough. Come on, say amen. We're going to be tough. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me, church. Come on, say amen. Come on, say, I will not bow. I will not bend. I will not surrender. In Jesus' name. Now give God a big hand clap one more time. Come on, amen. I will not bow. I will not quit. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for all that's been said today. I praise you, Lord, for all that you've done. Touch hearts and minds today. We lift our hearts and minds. For some, they have never given their life to Jesus. This is the day they need to say, I surrender my life to you. I'm no longer going to be rebellious. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to bow to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. For some of you today, show some grit right now. Acknowledge you need Jesus in your life. Acknowledge you need to change your life direction. Don't wait for your neighbor, your friend, your mama, your daddy, nobody else. I'm talking to you. Where do you stand? If you want me to pray for you because you know you need to give your life to Jesus, you need to make a change in your life, raise your hands. I want to pray for you. I want to know who I'm I'm praying for. Who's saying that's me, Pastor? Pray for me. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm just asking you. Okay, I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you. I see you. see you. Anybody else? I'm waiting on you. I see you. God bless you. Father, touch. I see you. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Father, touch these in Jesus' name. Let this be the moment that they say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm not going to live with this anymore. I want you to be the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we agree by faith that this is the change. This is the direction change. And we pray, God, you'd heal their hearts today, change their direction today. Let this be that moment they will never forget. They will never be the same. And we give you all the glory and we give you all the honor in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.